Whether smuggling Bibles, feeding lepers, or working and living amongst a Muslim people group as a humanitarian pastor, Mick Veach's commitment to share the love of God has taken him all over the world. Mick has served as a Global Partners Area Director for the Wesleyan Church in Central Asia and the Middle East. He has presented the gospel in more than 60 countries. He's been the lead pastor of a major of a larger church in, uh, in Midtown Detroit, right in the heart of it. And Mick's desire is always to see God's truth compel others to action and to foster healthy local churches that engage in evangelism and discipleship. He and his wife, Melanie, have three children, including one here at IWU, and they love living in the historic Boston Edison neighborhood of Detroit. So as a community, can we welcome our speaker today? Good morning. Try that again. Good morning. You know, I come, I've spoken at Indiana Wesleyan through the years, and it's always nostalgic for me. And the reason that is the case, I've got to quote the, uh, uh, the, the, the theologian musician John Cougar Mellencamp, and he said, I was born in a small town, taught the fear of Jesus in a small town, and that town was Marion, Indiana. I was born here, raised here, and every time I'm back, it's always very nostalgic for me. And even kind of more crazy is that uh, in the 80s, I was, I was a teenager here, and all these years later, I have a 22-year-old son. He, I was Mickey Veach when I was in, uh, in Marion then, and now I'm Mick Veach, and now there's a new Mickey Veach in town, but it's my son. And so I'm excited to be with you today for the few minutes that we have. Having said that, there is a, a pretty cool ba- uh, passage of Scripture in Matthew 14 that is probably one of my most favorite of all Scripture verses. You know it if you were raised in the church, and it's this, this passage that talks about Jesus out on the water. The disciples are all in a boat. The storm comes, and he's walking on the water. We know the story. There's one. His name is Peter. He gets out of the boat, walks out. He says, hey, Lord, can I, can I get on the water with you? And obviously, we know the rest of the story. But... As I read scripture, something starts to happen inside of me. I kind of wonder, what if we could have the greatest or one of the coolest, most interesting miracles of all time that never occurred in that story? What a preaching story it would have been. And what I mean by that is that we have a story of one individual that was willing to get out of the boat. But what if, what if, think with me, if all 12 of them in that moment had looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, can we all get out of the boat and get on the water with you? Do you think Jesus said, no, 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 this is only for Peter? I don't think so. I think we would have the epic of all stories to tell today. I would have loved to preach Matthew 14 with 12 guys on the water. Can you imagine? The storm is raging. Here is Jesus, and they are dancing, and they are water walkers. Wouldn't that have been a cool story to talk? But reality tells us, and our own lives tell us, that the story is probably closer to where we're at, where there's only usually one, maybe there's only one among you here today that actually in the middle of life as it is, actually sees Jesus where everyone else sees the waves and the storm. Here's what I want you to know this morning, and my message is pretty clear. You were called to be water walkers. You were never called for the boat. And boat will always try to trap you. The boat will tell you and it will lie to you. It will say you can't. It will talk to you about your past. It will tell you you don't have the ability. The boat is where everybody else around you is going to say, stay safe, engage us, don't do it, don't risk. And I'm here to tell you today that you were not made for a boat, but you were made 
to be water walkers. Now, if you were at my church in Detroit, we would already be clapping and saying amen, so I don't know your tradition. We'd already have some come back and forth here, so uh, you can help me out. The rest of you are kind of like, this guy's a little strange. Don't worry about it. It's one and done. If you got homework, have at it. But nonetheless, those of you who want to hear, I got a message to tell you. We are called to be water walkers, and here's why I believe that is the case. We are living in an epic time, political tensions that I've never seen in my day. I warned my church in the heart of Detroit that the division in our country would only widen after the election, regardless who was elected. But I'm more concerned today, not about that divide, but inside the church. I'm seeing cracks, and I'm seeing what I'm calling political idolatry like I've never seen before. I'm not telling you not engaged. I'm telling you there is a kingdom that's higher than any political persuasion, any thought that you have, and anybody believes that, they should put their hands together. We have social tensions that we see on a day-to-day basis in our, in our city. We have the, the threat of international terrorism and terrorism in our own country. And I'm here to tell you today that it will still be the church's greatest hour, and the reason why I believe that is the case is because of you sitting here today. You are the church. You are called to be water walkers. And I believe that God is calling us today to be exactly that. Scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord is ranging this very moment, and he's searching throughout to see whose hearts are completely his that he may strongly support. D.L. Moody said this, The world is yet to see the man, and I'll add the woman, that is totally committed to him. Water walkers will be those individuals. William Carey, one of my historical mentors, said this, Expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. But the most important person is Jesus himself. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, you and I are called to go to all the nations and make disciples and baptize them in his name. And here we are today, where are we at? Are we playing it safe in the boat or are we actually engaging the way we should? Questions before you. I know in my own life, when I was your age, God gave me my life verse when I was a university student. And growing up in Marion and trying to figure out my call in my life, God gave me this verse in Acts 20, 24. Paul was really engaged with a local church in Ephesus, and they loved him. But the word on the street was this. Paul, you leave Ephesus, you go to Jerusalem, you die. Stay with us, we'll protect you. You can have a great ministry. Play it safe. Stay in the boat. And Paul said the following words. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race, complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I'm in South America. The country is Colombia. I had just gotten this life verse. I'm in this print press building, and I'm doing my little work, and I heard what was like firecrackers, and and I I was never really around gunshots before, and and they got louder and more consistent, and all of a sudden I realized something's happening outside our building. Uh, The Colombian army and these other folks are kind of having it out outside on the streets, and I didn't really know Spanish really well, but I looked over at the secretary, and I saw she was under the the desk, and I didn't need to know Spanish to know what I was going to do next. Next thing I know, I'm under the desk. In that moment, I'm wondering to myself, what do you do in a moment like that? Are you spiritual? Are you heroic? Do you do something amazing? I was like, uh-uh, I'm a gringo. They don't like gringos. Where am I going to hide? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit brought it back to me. Mick, do you really consider your life worth nothing to you? Do you really want to finish the task? Do you really want to do whatever it takes? You see, I realize that we haven't done such a good job of what Jesus has told us to do, to go to all the nations, the cities, and to wherever it is he's called you to go. We haven't done such a good job with that. We've stayed comfortable in the boat. And I'm here to tell you that that's the great, as Robertson McQuilkin would say, the great, of this, the great sin of omission. James 4.17 says this, anyone who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Did you hear me? 
Anyone who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it sins. As a result, there's half the world's population have never heard of Jesus one time. What I know to be true is regardless if one of you say you're going to be a water walker or not, I will be that individual. I am continually committed to do that. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like sports. Anybody else like sports here? Yeah? How many of you like to win? How many like to win so badly that in your household it becomes a little competitive and a little friction on the board games? Am I the only one? Come on. I'm here to tell you something pretty crazy today. We already win. Do you hear me? We already win this thing. The question is not whether we win. The Bible tells us in Revelation 7, 9, every tribe, every language, and every people group will be there. So numerous you will not be able to count them that we will win this thing. That's a pretty powerful thing. So let me give you a few thoughts this morning about what I believe we need to do as God's calling us and where we need to go forward in making our impact and changing this world. Water walkers, first and foremost, the water walkers will go. They will always be going. Now, here's what I mean by that. There will be small goes in our life, if that makes any sense, and there will be big goes in our life. There will be moments where we have these dramatic transitions and we, we say, well, go and do whatever you want. But there's always these small goes where he's saying, I want you to go next door and I want you to go to the guy next to you in the dorm who really needs encouragement, but I got so much homework and I really don't want to be troubled. You're always going to have these goes in your life. And Jesus told us in Matthew 24, he said this, all the things I just told you, I, I, Jesus warned us and said it's only going to get worse and it's going to have a lot of bad things. Wars, rumors of war, the love of, grow, of most will grow cold, etc., etc. But in that time, he tells us, verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Succinctly, what that means is this. Your generation, the baton is going to be passed off to you and it's only going to get worse and I'm an eternal optimist. At the same time it's going to get worse, the gospel of Jesus Christ will go forward to all the nations. Those two things are going to happen at the same time. So here's my, that, that verse, Matthew 24, 14, caused me to actually go live uh, 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 internationally. When I read it, I basically concluded to myself, hey, if Matthew 24, 14 is true, let's finish the, uh, let's, uh, let the gospel be preached to all nations and then the end will come. It's simply put, let's finish the mission and go home. Can anybody say amen? Let's finish the mission and go home. Water walkers are always going. Now let me illustrate it by my own life. I remember when I was in grad school in South Carolina at Columbia, and all of a sudden I get a phone call, and God's saying, I want you to go up to Port Huron, Michigan, and be a youth pastor. I said, you cannot be serious. I'm not funny. I don't swallow fish, and, and I'm not crazy. They will not like me. And next thing I know, I'm up in Port Huron, Michigan. The best thing that came out of that was that I was a youth pastor. My wife was in Indonesia, and she, uh, to be my wife, was in Indonesia in a tent for three months, and she came back in combat boots, and I said, that's the one I want to marry. So it was really a good deal, really. Having said all of that, we had a great ministry there, and then God said, I want you to go again. And I knew that my life would never be one house, one place, that I was going to continue to listen to his calling. Maybe you will too. I want you to go to Colorado, and I want you to be engaged with a ministry called Kingdom Building Ministries, which is today called Ford's Ministries. I want you to become an itinerant speaker, and I want you to travel around. And that's back in the 90s. I was here several times, and even in the early um, part of uh, 2000. And I traveled around, and I spoke. And, uh, um, and in all of that, God said to me after several years, two of our children were born there. 
He said, I want you to go again, but this time I want you to go internationally. I want you to take your speaking that you have done, and people are getting to know you. I'm in my 20s then, and I don't want you to speak for nearly 10 years. I want you to put that on the shelf. I want you to go, and I want you to share and love people who are in desperate need. I want you to go where there is no where there is no church. When we got there, there were only, in 1996, there were five known believers, and worldwide, this people group, there's 28 million people. I don't know about you, 28 million people, predominantly Muslim, only five known believers, I would call that unreached. Paul told us in Romans 14, it's always been my ambition to preach Christ where no one else, can, where no one else has preached so I don't build on anyone else's foundation. I would say that's what we did. Had an incredible run there. Saw many people come to Christ. We built schools. Um, we enabled to uh, see a house church movement engage. We opened up four new fields in that part of the world. It was a pretty cool thing and all of that. And then God said, go. You see, always saying go. And this time that go wasn't as easy. He said, I want you to go. I want you to return back to America. And I want you to be a, in a suburban church. I said, you cannot be serious. A suburban church. I want you to go there. And thus we went back to Michigan. And God enabled us to be there for another, we were in overseas for 10 years, and another 10 years at this suburban church, and we saw over 50-some people called into full-time ministry. We helped plant several churches internationally and locally. Really, things going really good. And then, I'm dreaming, because I, I don't know, you're not old enough to know this yet, but there's this temptation for guys my age and older, what we call the tour duty. Been there, done that. It's time for me just to coach. It's time for me just to cheer on. I'm the one to give the money now. And I, I felt like I earned my right. And so I'm starting to dream about the city, Detroit, which we were just a few miles out on 26 Mile, that God was going to, he birthed in me this dream inside the city. Amazing people in the city of Detroit. You hear, we are the, we are the, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, folks when they're having coffee, they joke about the city of Detroit. But I believe Detroit is an amazing group of people. And God's been there a long time. And he told me, I want you to go to Midtown. I want you to plant a church called Mosaic because in this church, it's not going to be all white people and it's not going to be all black people because Detroit's 80% black, 87% black. It's going to be a little bit of people from all over the nations. This is the vision he gave me. We're not going to only be just multi-ethnic. We're going to be multi-economic. That means there are going to be people that have no money compared to sitting next to people who have lots of money, a doctor and a professor beside somebody that is homeless. It's not only going to be multi-ethnic. It's not only going to be multi-economic. It's going to be multi-generational. It's going to be young and old. It's not going to be a hip-hop church. It's not going to be an old person's church. It's going to be all the above, and it's going to be messy. Are you ready to go? And so we started dreaming about that. And in that Mosaic church, we were going to be a 24-7 church, which we would create um, uh, abilities to actually serve our community, that we would engage the centers and the rehabilitation centers, and we would come alongside people in the youth groups, and we would create classes for helping training people, distribution of food and clothing. These are the things that God had placed on my heart as we were going to do this. We were going to create an urban institute, which we're in the process of now, where people like you can come, and we're, we're actually in dialogue with this university. You can come and serve in the city in Detroit that we'll be able to train the next generation of laborers called the Urban Institute. We actually have a table uh, out at the, at the dining commons. You can engage us about possibilities there regardless of where you're at. You don't have to, you could do an internship. You could just come and serve for a summer. That's what I did when I was your age. I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew was I wanted to serve Jesus. So I just tried everything and figured out that God would kind of narrow it through that experience. And so here I am through all of this, and I'm thinking about, okay, who am I going to recruit? Who am I going to do this beautiful dream? And, 
And God speaks to me in strange ways, I gotta confess. I had watched a movie, We Bought a Zoo. Now, We Bought a Zoo, maybe you saw it. Matt Damon is the widower, and in that movie, his, obviously his wife dies, and he takes all of his savings, and he buys this broken down zoo for his children. And one of his friends came to him, and he said, wait, wait a minute, what are you doing, and what possessed you to buy this zoo? And he looked at his friend in the movie, and he said, it took 20 seconds of courage, and it changed my life. I'm thinking about who I'm going to send to Detroit, and the Holy Spirit hits me right here, and he says, Mick, do you still have 20 seconds of courage left in you? I want you to leave your nice big church and the comfort and all there it is, and I want you to start all over. I want you to move straight into downtown with your daughter being a senior, a junior in high school. I want you to start all over, raise and support. I want you to raise up a team. I want you to do it. Now, like a good American and an American Christian, I needed confirmation on that, if you know what I'm talking about. So I'm kind of like, wait a minute. I know that God speaks, and so God confirmed this through Chick-fil-A. Now, isn't that the craziest thing? Tells you a little bit about this speaker. I'm in Raleigh, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, eating um, at a Chick-fil-A. I'm doing my Chick-fil-A thing, and it's busy, and I'm eating my, uh, mind my own business. And the entire time, I'm sensing somebody's looking over me, and they're, they're watching me. And as, they, as I sensed it, I, I walked over to, to put my trash away. And this guy worked at a uh, Chick-fil-A. He's about six foot three. He's bald. Looked like he's 23 African-American. He comes over to me. He says, with all the noise around, he says, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. He said, are you a pastor? I said, yes. Now he had my attention. He said, I have something that God wants me to tell you. He had my attention. Now, I don't know what your traditions you come for, come from, but I know this. When God speaks, I'm going to listen. We've domesticated God, in my opinion. He said, whatever it is you're about to do, it's going to be challenging. There's going to be giants. It's going to take everything you have, but you will be victorious, and churches will come from it. All I needed to know was that because of Chick-fil-A, I was moving to Detroit and I was resigning my position and moving forward because God is calling. Can somebody say amen? I'm sorry. I just kind of enjoy a back and forth. I'm too used to it. Have mercy on me. I know this is really what we're saying today is that Jesus has always told us in Matthew 10, he said, go. And when he said go, he said, preach the kingdom. He said, cast out demons and heal the sick. And when you go that some of the villages will hate you and you need to not worry about all that stuff. I'm going to provide for you during that time. And all the people thought it was cool to stay in the boat and hang around Jesus at that time started feeling uncomfortable. What I know to be true is simply this, is that water walkers will go. The second thing that I would say today is that water walkers will preach. I'm thinking of Romans 10. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. But how can they call on the one whom they've not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Water walkers preach, my friends. That's the reality. Now, when I say preach, I mean preach with word and deed. Let me take you to 1 John 3. It says, do not let us love with word or tongue, but with action and with truth. Can somebody say amen? I'm learning this even as I speak to you, trying to figure out how we can actually be people that would engage on all levels. And now I look at the New Testament, I look at the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and what I read, and I was reading it this morning, is that they didn't have any needs among themselves. They were, they were, they were providing for one another, and in all of that, what happens is that it says the Lord added to their number daily. It's a pretty powerful thing. So when we preach with word and deed, God begins to show up. What did Jesus tell us? When we do it unto the least of these, we're doing it unto him. That's what I know he's saying to us, and we need to understand he's telling us to do that. Now, when I served overseas... 
The craziest thing was is that we, had to, we couldn't go and say, I'm going to be a missionary. So we were humanitarian workers. And long story short, we were, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was trained in the Bible. I didn't know how to be a humanitarian director. And just like my whole life, I just smiled and acted like I knew what I was doing but didn't have a clue. And I was walking through all this trying to figure out how they do these grants and this and that and the rest. And I became friends with the United States ambassador. And in that moment, um, we, uh, we had 9-11 occur. And when 9-11 occurred, they started to fight terrorism where we're at. And they sent in the United States uh, military. And they were going to train uh, folks for uh, terrorism. And, and long story short, the ambassador connects me with the lieutenant colonel who is a follower of Jesus. And he looks at me and he says, I have $20,000 for each school that I want to build, but I don't know how to do it. Would you be able to help me? I said, absolutely. So next thing I know, we get a nearly a half million dollars of U.S. tax dollars all in the name of Jesus in an Islamic country, building and helping children to be able to read and, and be able to uh, have computer skills and preach in Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool stuff. What I know to be true is that I learn a lot from my wife because she doesn't care about strategy. I love strategy. If she's in a strategy session, she'd fall asleep. But what she does do is she loves people. She preaches through her life. I remember one time I'm strategizing on the computer and how we're going to reach folks in that country, and, and she has a thermos, and she's walking by me, and I'm going, what are you doing with that thermos? She says, well, I'm going outside, and I'm going to have um, tea with a beggar that's sitting there by our door. I said, why? She said, well, beggars need to take a break too. Next thing I know, she's struck up a relationship with all of the people that are begging in our city. We would drive down this, uh, the city in which we lived, and they would all, I'd look and I'd see all the children that were there with their mom and dad, and they had all my kids' clothes on them, so I knew that they had con contact with my wife. She taught me that it's more important to love than it is to have all the strategy. You see, when we preach, we also do it with our life and everything that we have. I'm here to tell you that when we preach, there is risk. There is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, don't worry about it when they arrest you. Anybody been worried about being arrested here? I don't think one of you have. Don't worry about it when that happens to you because when it does, I'll give you what you need in that moment. Do you know in, in the early days where I lived that when, that, when we have uh, meetings, a staff meeting, it was a lot different than staff meetings in the U.S., we would, I would actually train our team what to do if you're arrested or if your house is raided. That was normal, everyday kind of an experience. And, it, and I always say to people, like, how could you live that way? Are you willing to risk things? And I'm always saying, what are you worried about? All they can do is kill you. And every time I say that, it's always as silent as anybody's business. But let me go take you back to Philippians 1. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Once we realize what we think is radical becomes normal, we'll be water walkers and we're going to make a difference in our world. And that's what he's saying to us today. He's telling us today, your obedience today in preaching is going to give you more later. Did you hear me? Your obedience today will do more later. Now, i got to illustrate it this way. I grew up in this town, but this university was not called Indiana Wesleyan University. It was called Marion College, and there was just several buildings. So I was in a, another university that you played last night in basketball. I will not name it. That's where I graduated. Sorry. And you're like, who did you play last night? I was at Taylor University as a student. And what I know to be true when I was there is I got all excited that I needed to share Jesus. And so we went down this row of streets in Upland, Indiana, and we shared Jesus with people. And when I get nervous, I talk even faster than I am on the stage right now. And I took a friend with me, and I don't, I don't recommend doing this. We knocked on the first door, and this lady came to the door, and I said, Well, ma'am, well, well, we're here. Well, I just want, well, 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 we're just here to tell you about Jesus. What do you think of that? And to my surprise, she said, Come on in. For one hour, she showed us every photo in her house and all of her grandkids. And I was like on mission. I want to share Jesus. I don't want to know about the grandkids. And the whole time, God's teaching me a lesson that we need to be obedient here and now. 
One of my buddies, he got all excited about it. And so down in Upland, I don't know if it still exists, there was this little liquor store. And so he went and he shared Jesus with the lady in the liquor store. It was the funniest story. He's headed back to campus. And as he's driving back, he sees a police car behind him with his, his lights on. <laughs> I would have loved to see the cop's expression. He stopped and he said, son, I, 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 can I have your driver's license? And he saw that he was only 20. He said, I saw you walk out of that liquor store. Do you have an explanation for yourself? He said, Mr. Officer, you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to tell you why I was in there. He said, I wasn't in there to buy alcohol. You can test my breath. You can look in my car. I was in there to tell that lady about Jesus. He said that cop looked at him real close. He pulled out. He gave him back his uh, driver's license. said, that's all good and fine, son, but next time, wait until you're 21. <laughs> and I had the greatest idea when he told me the story. I said, hey, Kevin, I'm 21. Let's go back to the liquor store. <laughs> no lie. I was in charge of the discipleship program at Taylor. I took 50 of the students. We went to the parking lot, and we had all the ladies buy, make homemade Christmas cookies. It was Christmas time, and we were going to sing Christmas carols to her. So they stood in the parking lot. We bought her a Bible. I went in. Her name was Mary. I said, hey, Mary, come on out here. Put my arm around her. We started singing Christmas carols to her. I handed her the cookies, handed her the Bible. Tears coming down her face, and she said, I, 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 nobody's ever done this before, and I'm here to tell you that water walkers will preach in life indeed, and I'm here to tell you that what I did at Taylor University as a 20-some-year-old, 20 21-year-old, is actually that Mary in the, uh, in the liquor store is connected to a guy named Zaman who's in Bangladesh. Well, how are they connected? Because while I was serving in the country that I was at, Zaman was a student in the country in which I live, not Bangladesh. Got to share Jesus with him. He receives Christ. I baptize him, get a Bible in his language. He goes back to Bangladesh, has been sharing the gospel there, had a few rough moments, even as it related to persecution. And I'm here to tell you that there would never have been a Zaman in my life if there wasn't a Mary when I was your age. You understand what I'm saying, folks? Water walkers will preach where they're at in word and deed and will make all the difference in the world. The third thing that I would say to you is water walkers not only go, they not only preach, but water walkers will see the supernatural. And we are in a day and age where we do not domesticate God and put God in a box. How many of you would just be thrilled if God showed up and surprised some of you who are now studying for your next test and God showed up? And God was just here in his fullness, what would happen? What if we as a student body actually believed that God had the audacity to show up in such an amazing way that all of us would just say, oh God, oh God, oh God. That when we're on the water, I, I, all the thing, everything would be different at that moment. We need to see these kind of things happening. And I've seen it all over the world. I've seen these signs and wonders. I remember once I'm in Uzbekistan and these guys that I'm meeting with around tea and they were like, yeah, last week we were in jail. I said, you were in jail? They said, yeah, we were, we were sharing in our home about Jesus and the police came and they threw us in jail. So we thought that was our lot at that moment. So we started sharing Jesus in the jail. And we decided since we're going to live here, we're going to clean up the jail. This is them telling me. So they clean up the jail. They shared Jesus in the jail. And all the cops came to them and they said, who are you and what are you doing? And they started talking about all that they did for Jesus. And all the cops got so frustrated, they kicked them out of jail. (laughs) No lie. And the entire time, this miracle of God, I'm sitting there with them and they're they're telling me like, it's just the weather and like a, a, a ball score. To me, my jaw was dropped because I'm not, allowed, I'm not a water walker where I'm seeing the supernatural, where I'm, laying, where I'm on the water, and I'm like, if you don't deliver, I will surely die. Is your dream so big? Is your dream so big that if God, if divine intervention does not happen now, you will fail? That's where you need to be. Are you dreaming big enough in the water that only he can do it and nobody else? Now is the time to do that. Now is the moment to be able to see God's supernatural. I remember when I was in India with young adults and, and there was a Hindu village and, and there was this totem pole and I'm preaching outdoors and, and they believe in many gods and many of them were demon-possessed and needing a touch from God. And, and I, I just said, 
if you really want to know that there's one true God, come forward right now and we'll show you the power of God and we'll start praying for you. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just in my 30s and had these 20-somes. I love your age. You know why? Because you guys are ready to walk on the water. You're ready to go and not have it all figured out and watch God be God. I had all these guys and girls your age and they, they, their eyes are all really big and they see 15 rows of Indians sitting there and I was like, just go out and start blessing them. Well, we can't speak the language. I said, I don't care. Just start praying over them. For the next three hours, we're praying over them and we saw signs and wonders like nobody's business. People were delivered from demons. People's eyesights were seen. And we were all, as Americans, going, look at the supernatural. Until an Indian pastor who went with us looked at me and he said, listen to me. We don't focus on the signs and the wonders and the miracles. What we focus on is that God used that. And today, as a result, a church is going to be established in this village. And the gospel will go forward. And the light went off. Aha. Now, the, the, the pastor, he was like, during all of this, all of a sudden there was a ruckus going on, and he said, get to the van. We got to the van. He's like laughing. He's like, last week, I, I, I got the funds, and I started to, I got my new moped, you know, and they're wearing these little skirts, you know, in India. And he's right, and he said, I'm so glad for my moped, because as I went to the village, my moped's faster than the rocks. And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, they keep trying to throw stones at me as I come and preach to them, but I just kind of get on my moped and I beat the rocks every time. And, and I'm kind of like, it would have been nice if you'd have told me that. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is, I thought you really wanted to share the gospel. Allow God to be God. What a difference in opinion of what this is all about. I'm here to tell you today that God is going to say he's calling, but water walkers are willing to risk it all. When I was living in the Middle East after 9-11. That's the, in that short period of time, it was very volatile. Very volatile. And Americans were dying during that period of time. I was a young lad. And I remember I would leave the house and the United States ambassador would say, I want you to change your routes because we don't want you, because I'd been on television and people knew who I was. My wife did not know when I came back, when I left, whether I'd come back. She told me that after six months of the fear she had. I remember when my kids were way young, walking into their room going, are you going to protect us? And I'm here to tell you that it's going to cost us something if we're going to really do this thing. We've got to be all the way in and stop making excuses. And that isn't just my past, that's my today. Do you understand what I'm saying? Although Detroit is a beautiful place, Detroit has some challenges. Just last summer, somebody in a drive-by shooting was killed just half block from my house, and my daughter was by herself or with her mother. And I in that moment realized, we're in this till the very end. We're not trying to play it safe. We're trying to do whatever Jesus wants us to do. Does that make sense to anybody? Water walkers are going to see the supernatural. And I'm here to tell you today, who in this room that are even listening to me as we get close to concluding, you do not see this country as it is. You do not see the challenges as they are. You see what they can be. That's, what, that's who I'm after. Dangerous prayer that's been prayed through the ages. You ready to pray it? Break my heart, God, for the things that break yours. That's going to make all the difference in the world. Jesus told us that the harvest is ready and the laborers are few. So we need to see the supernatural. And the last thing I would say to you is that water walkers will see many come to know the Lord. Can somebody say amen? amen. They will. Everyone. Is, do you understand that word, everyone? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Now, if you were at my church, you would repeat, so I'm going to have you do that. Say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Now, we're seeing that happening right where we are. In our short, we've been in this historic building that we remodeled in the downtown Detroit. And in that, we already have like seven or eight languages represented. From India, South Africa, Russia, um, Germany, etc. 
we have all this happening. Now, here's what I want you to see what God's doing. What I'm saying to you as I'm in this season of my life, I'm going to ask, I brought some people from my church so you could see them. You guys come up here and stand right here in the middle real quick. We just got a few minutes. Curtis, come on down here and look out this way at them. I want you to see our diversity. This is just a small sampling. We've only been open like seven months at our new building. Curtis, this is my true brother from another mother. <laughs> Say, hey. <laughs> I want you to, why don't you make him feel good? Say, hey, Curtis. Hey, Curtis. Now you're making him feel at home. Curtis and I met just a little while ago, and Curtis knew about Jesus but didn't really know Jesus, and Let's just say he learned how to make a dollar or two on the streets to where last year he was shot in his hip. It was at his lowest of his low, and he and I met at a center. And he got serious with God, and what was it, Curtis? About a month or two ago, he decided he's going to not only follow Jesus, he gets baptized, and he and I are now meeting Scripture on a week-to-week basis, and he's committed to following us. Right here, bro. Many, 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 cur- many courtesies at Mosaic. Dr. Wafahana from Egypt, who served Jesus in the midst of an Islamic nation and comes to America as a medical doctor, is a leader, powerful leader, sharing Jesus in her practice, part of our church, and she's the first Middle Easterner ever to be elected to our national board of the Wesleyan Church today, and she's from Mosaic and comes to our church in Midtown, lives in southeast Michigan, and God's using her in ways that most people couldn't see, and people may prejudice against her because she's Middle East. That's why this thing is nutso. Here's a devout follower of Jesus, highly talented, highly skilled, that's making an impact for the kingdom, and simply because she's Egyptian, or people are saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm here to tell you, for most of you who are white here, you need to get over your prejudice and racists now, because in heaven... Because in heaven, you're going to be a minority because it says every tribe, language, and people group. And the Caucasians, they don't like to have kids anyway, so we're in, we're in a trouble. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, right? Let me say this. People say, everybody in churches say, hey, yeah, when we get to heaven, I'm all for that. At Mosaic, we believe the cross is powerful enough that we can actually have diversity now, not we have to wait for heaven. Can somebody say amen? Janice and her husband, Mark, are just like you. They lived in the suburbs. They loved Jesus for many years. They raised their daughters. They were, they were volunteers in the church. And then I took her husband to Africa, and God shook his world. She started volunteering at the church. Long story short, they gave up the American dream, sold their business, volunteered over and over again, moved the first family to move into the heart of Detroit, opened up a center, had been serving for seven years, has rocked their world, but they wouldn't want it any other way because they've said... To get out of the boat meant that we needed to leave all of that, go to the heart of Detroit, even as a white lady and a white man with white kids and saying we're going to make a difference, and they truly have because they love people and they share with people, and that's making a difference. Can somebody say amen? And this little girl, she's got a cool shirt model. She's got hashtag water walker. We actually have this shirt on sale. When I meet you out in front of the Wildcat Express about our internship, we have these in beanies available. So you remember to pray for Mosaic, but you also can also use and say, I'm going to be a water walker. This girl's name is Fatima. She's Azerbaijani. She was adopted as a three-year-old. If she hadn't been adopted as a three-year-old, she's 18 today. If she hadn't been adopted today, she would have been in the sex trade. She knows that, and I know that. She wouldn't have a hope. Now she loves Jesus. She served last year in India with orphans. She volunteers across the street from our church with a children's center, tutoring children. She works three jobs. She's a leader in our youth group, and she continues to serve and help me even clean the church. 
And the amazing thing about this girl named Fatima, who we call Morgan, who's thinking about coming here next year, you might be able to persuade her, I don't know, <laughs> is she's actually my daughter. And so God has called us as a church, and the greatest privilege I've ever had as a, as a, as a, as a follower of Jesus is to be a father, and she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And she is an example that we can change one life, one life at a time. And if you make that choice, what a difference. Here's what I believe. I could continue. I could have brought 10 more people, but we didn't have enough room. They came up this morning. I came up last night. And I'm here to tell you is that I believe this is at the heart of God. Don't you listen to the lies. Don't you tell people, let people tell you otherwise. This is where God is. He's about reconciliation. He's about bringing the nations together. They're all coming to us. We need to go abroad and we need to stay here. But we need to say, I want to be a water walker. Can somebody say amen? Okay. You guys can head back. We're going to conclude now. And as we do, here's what I want to tell you. I'd love to see some of you at our table. We're at, as I said, the Wildcat Express about possibilities this summer. Uh, We'll be there through lunch. But... I want you to bow your heads with me. Don't leave yet. Don't check out on me yet. I'm going to pray. Anybody in this room that God surprised you this morning and you were playing it safe and you were in a boat and you know that your heart's beating and you don't care about anything else but by standing up right now before I close, you're saying before God and no one else, God, I want to be a water walker right now. And if that is you, stand up right now. I don't have time to delay. Is there one person in this room that says, I want to be a water walker? And I want the faculty and staff and everybody to look around because... God's up to something. I knew when I prayed they were going to, this isn't for the masses. This is for people that truly are willing to say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And just remember, they can only kill you. Anybody else before I pray? Lord, I'm praying right now for those that are standing. You know their story. You've got seven billion people under your control. I know you can do your thing. And so I pray right now for all of those that are standing that we would look back on this day, right in the middle of the winter in Marion, Indiana at a chapel, that you did something and said, I'm getting out of the boat and I'll never get back in. I'm going to walk with you from this day forward. Change the world today through these young people and make it happen now. Protect them. May the seed go deep. I'm trusting you for that. And I put them into your hands and I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and all God's people said. Hey, God bless you. Have a great day.